I'm a child of the mother. I was born in 1994. How do I start? Poetry prescribed, pen perfectly poised. It was supposed to be you. I've always been shit at man. Was he ever scared? In this poem. Everything I want is already mine. Word Spoken Podcast. Yes, yes, yes. You're listening to the Word Spoken Podcast, the poetry podcast which brings you the best. I'm your host, Henry, and this is episode 33. Um, I hope everyone's doing well, you know, the kind of spoken word scene is still struggling, fighting to kind of come back to its former glory. A um, couple of socially distanced nights I've been seeing kind of kicking about out there. Um, you know, is it really the same? I guess not, but I guess in some form we can have our beloved art form come back. Um, so yeah, I hope everyone's keeping well. We've got um, a super, super talented guy coming on to the show this week um a reminder as well if you want to kind of watch these or watch just the performances head over to youtube or over to igtv as always um and you can do so over there uh so annotate let me tell you a little bit about annotate flow poet annotates another flow poet (laughs) comes on to the word spoken podcast um this guy is super, super talented. There's no doubt about that. Um, we hear three phenomenal pieces. The first one is called Gratitude. The next one, Writer's Block. Um, and finally, a piece called Confession. Again, we have the 155 segment where he picks out a word, which, I mean, I don't know why I put it in there in the first place, to, to, to be honest, but I'm not going to lie. He nails it. So listen out for that. We also have Eyes and Ears, where he gives them some great recommendations, as always. Um, Now, he actually has his own podcast as well, which is entitled The Outspoken Podcast. So this guy knows what he's doing on a mic, basically. So we have a great conversation. We hear three fantastic pieces from a very experienced and talented poet, such as Annotate. Um, To give him a follow on Instagram, it's annotate underscore... And that's pretty much it. Let's listen to the first one. It's entitled Gratitude. Sometimes it's so easy to complain. It just feels like happiness comes and goes like a summer rain. It's ever so temporary despite those blessings that indicate the contrary. And it's easy to speak about the things that go wrong. Disregarding the good that our focus should be on. Momentarily forgetting that it's all destiny. And what's meant to be will be so we should deal with it patiently. But it's easier said than done And sometimes I find myself worldly strung Deluded by his temperance Impatience takes control It all just feels so long What I don't have sits heavily at the forefront of my mind I ignore that breath that just left the chest The test leaves me vexed I'm tired So when comes the rest? The prophet, peace and blessings be upon him Told us to look to those less fortunate And yet in times of hardship We just ignore this Enter my little brother As I sit alone and pointlessly scroll from my phone He enters the room and I greet him with an unpleasant tone He doesn't acknowledge it, he just enthusiastically asks how my day's been I look up to see his infectious smile All of a sudden it all doesn't seem so bad I forget why I was mad, I hate the prospect of seeing him sad For a second I contemplate everything that he's been through I compare it to my situation and it's nothing compared to what he has endured and despite all the pain and the difficulty, he just deals with it quietly. Not a word of complaint in moments of frustration from youth, a young child to adult maturation. Test after test and he bears it with patience. Smile on his face because he's truly amazing. May God bless him, his strength and his patience never fails to amaze me. He's a living embodiment of gratitude. With an uplifting attitude, you'll feel the same if he sat with you. He leaves a smile on the faces of everyone that he meets, employing the kindest tone when he speaks. He's the best friend I've ever had, the best friend I'll ever have. When no one else cares, he's there. When all falls on deaf ears, he's all ears. When the devil taunts with manipulation, he points out my obligation. He doesn't even need to hear the Adhan. It's like he just knows it's time to pray. He knows prayers where I rid my woes. Truly, God, it's been a blessing to watch him grow. We have a bond beyond compare. The videos and pictures are not false representation. Merely an accurate indication of the relationship we share. And words cannot express how much I care. The moment I started to truly believe in God was following his heart surgery. Touch and go, tears in the eyes of my family. He was in a bad way and I'll never forget the day. Just a boy but my heart was in tatters, my mind was scattered 
Mummy sat by his bedside nightly and watched him fighting. No other situation I've been through was frightening. Mummy stayed strong going through it alone. The doctors told Mummy he wouldn't make it. But Allah had different plans. I've watched him grow from a little boy to a big man. All praise be to Allah. Everything is by his decree, not the man-made machines. He's now 23 and I repeat, words cannot express how much he means to me. So this is a reminder to me first. To remain firm in faith for the time that I spend on this earth. In times of hardship, I let frustrations cloud my judgment and I almost forget that this world is nothing. Compared to the life of the next, everything we go through here is a test. So my people, just be your best and let that faith be firm in your chest. And we're rolling. Hello, hello, hello. Um, Annotate, thank you so much for coming on to Word Spoken and like banging it with that first piece. That was an absolutely uh, incredible poem man um thank you for coming on and thank you for for having me performing that buddy um so look i thought maybe what we do literally just to kind of kick things off here is uh why don't you tell us a little bit about that first piece give us a little bit of kind of context to it yeah sure man so most people that know me by now know that my little brother he's not very little anymore but my younger brother um he was born with down syndrome and he also has autism and he deals with the um, additional complication of ADHD as well. Mm. Now, these have, of course, provided some very difficult times for my brother growing up. When I became Muslim in 2013, I was kind of struggling with certain things that were going on in my life that I had to get used to in terms of changes and, and difficulties that had affected my relationships. You know, not everybody was quite accepting of me becoming, you know, somebody new to them, if that makes sense. And I was trying to find a way to navigate the way I was feeling and and put that across. And this was after doing spoken word for a few months and feeling like I wasn't really getting anywhere. The quality was really low. Like, and I'm somebody that I'm my biggest critic, you know, my own biggest critic. So I can definitely admit when I feel like something's not good. So I felt like the quality was very low. And I said to myself, if I don't, you know, write something worthwhile, Soon, I'm just going to call it a day and just leave this to be. And one day I was on my home, uh, on my way home rather from work. And I was just sitting there on the public transport that day. And just this poem started coming to me, like these words and just started flowing from my brain. And I was like, I've got to write this down, man, you know. And I started writing and writing and it just came. It's one of those poems I wrote quite quickly. Mm. You know, a lot of my poems, people that know me know I spend quite a bit of time refining them and whatnot. But this poem... Because it was so, it was from the heart. It just really meant a lot to me that it just came. And basically the reason why I wrote it was to kind of show how I needed to be in terms of my gratitude that despite the difficulties that I was facing, the changes, you know, the the relationships that I, that weren't as strong as anymore or people that were kind of leaving my life, I needed to understand that I still had to be grateful for the fact that I was blessed with this faith. Because obviously for me, it was the biggest moment of my life changing faith and obviously after being um, from a different faith and you know and having that faith in my household and so on and so forth and so I what I wanted to do is structure this poem in a way that it not only detailed my gratitude for my faith and for this change but also the person that has been an embodiment of that quality his entire life Mm. so I wrote it with an idea of showcasing how my brother has been that person for for so many years, that, that inspiration for me, showing me how I need to be, the quality I need to have, I need to embody that. And that is pretty much where the poem came from. And that day was just, it was a, it was a blessing to me because it was the first poem I think I wrote that was good. If I'm honest with you, I feel like a lot of my other content before that was really poor. And that was the first poem I said to myself, okay, You've done a decent job here, man. Really happy with how it kind of came out. Yeah. So you kind of said there that this one almost like you said you were on the bus or something, and and it just the idea came and it kind of Mm. flowed out. So is that like um, is how how often does that happen to you when you're kind of in that creative space that you kind of your first like you just get a buzz of ideas and a piece just flows? Is that is that something that's kind of common or less so? Yeah. I'd say it's, I'd say it's common, but 
with me, the interesting thing with me is that I take quite long to finish my pieces. Mm. So the inspiration will hit me and I'll be like, yes, I've got to get these bars down. So what I'll do is I'll have these lines that I come up with that, that I think are just sick lines. And I'll just start putting them onto a memo. Mm-hmm. Or on, either on my laptop or on my phone, wherever wherever it be. Put them into this memo and I'm like, okay, these are some sick bars, man. Now I've got to structure them. It's the structure for me. That's always the challenge for me to make sure that my, whatever it is I'm writing, with the level of intricacy I try to involve and also um, the lyricism, the wordplay, it's got to have, it's got to make sense with the content. I'm not one of those guys that likes to write just to show off. I've got this ability. I can write wordplay in that because most people can. That's the reality. A lot of people can do wordplay. Mm. But for me, the challenge I set for myself is that, okay, Liam, you can do, or annotate rather, as most people know me, you can do wordplay, but can you make it make sense? Yes. Is it good wordplay? Is it structural with the piece? You know, does it have utility? As my friend Tommy Aman Evans will always say, you know, when I, when he was advising me, you know, does it have utility? So mm-hmm. for me, that's always been my own challenge is making sure to tweak it and turn it into a piece that makes sense. And it's not just there to show off and be like, oh, welcome, right. So inspiration definitely comes to me often. But in terms of finishing pieces, that takes a lot longer. Yeah. No, I think, I think, I think you make a really good point with kind of, word play there because obviously um lots of poets have completely nailed the wordplay stuff but yeah you're right it's if it's kind of in there and it's really only serving a purpose of showing off it it um yes it is impressive but there's not too much depth to it mm. right and it's exactly. kind of a little bit of a shame to kind of see um so clearly how something was written just to perform right <laughs> you know it's kind yeah. of like you can kind of see behind the curtain of, yeah. of 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 their mind so i think that i think that's a really um kind of great point you make there <laughs> so yeah it's um one of the things i find really impressive with your work is your kind of uh, ability to um uh memorize your pieces because they're very intricate yeah. Like, you, like, so I like kind of makes sense. You, you saying that they tend to take you a long time because they're very detailed mm. and they're like granular, right? And, um, the kind of way a sentence can flow from one to the next can be, um, you know, if, if you were reading that and you would, it, let's say you were, you had it on a page in words yeah. for the first time and you asked and you were told to just read it out, it'd be really hard, right? It's because you, you know the rhythm, you know the way it kind of goes. Um, so. Would you, where am I kind of going with this? <laughs> no, what I was going to say is, uh, how do you go about the uh, process of memorizing a piece? So for me, what I tend to do is I actually say the piece a lot. Mm. So I mean, constant repetition. I think repetition is key. Um, so what I'll do is, is I'll, I'll pull out my phone because that's usually where I tend to have my poems stored nowadays. It's just easier for me and, and more accessible. So I have my poems in my phone and I'll just read over them. I'll read over them constantly, keep reading over it. And once I start to feel like it's coming together while I'm reading it and I, and I can kind of tell what line's going to come next, that's when I say to myself, okay, it's time to start practicing without the phone. The first few attempts always bother me because I'm always like, ah, I know it, but it's not allowing me to say it out loud. Um, but after I say I've done it about 10, 15 times, there I'm there. You know, it's there, mm. I've memorized it and I just go from there perfecting it. Then I start tweaking it, making sure it sounds right. And if I feel like there's a certain word that doesn't really flow the way I'd like it to, then I'll take that out and so on and so forth. So even at the process of memorizing it, I still haven't finished the poem. I'm still refining it. I'm still making sure it sounds good. Still making sure that every word fits with the poem, has its purpose in that poem. So that's always been very important to me. Mm. Where do you say you're one of those people that kind of, um, thinks a poem is actually never finished and that it can always be tweaking? Or do you kind of get to the point where you've really thought about every little detail so much that you kind of seal it up and be like, okay, boom. Or like maybe after you've done a live for the first time, it slightly changes. I don't know. What, what's your like approach? Yeah. This is why everybody says I'm, I'm um, my own biggest critic. They, all, <laughs> they agree with me. Like I say it myself, but they all agree with me, you know, like the likes of Yasmin Ali and so on and so forth because... I always say to them, by the time I've written a new piece, oh, I don't really like that piece anymore, the one before it. I mean, it's all right, but this one's a lot better. And that's because for me, um, and back to your point, 
about um, refining it and feeling like it's not necessarily always finished. That is the case for me. I always feel like once I performed it a number of times and I, and I listen back to it, this could have been better. Mm. I could have done a better job at telling this part of the poem. I could have done a better job of making sure this rhymed better or this sounded better or or the quality of lyricism was stronger here. The wordplay didn't really work there. I could have gotten rid of that. You know what I mean? And um, But it takes listening back to it a lot of times. And obviously because sometimes we our ego tends to try and get in the way of... of um, looking at our work and honest, being honest with ourselves yeah. that I get a bit gassed in the moment and I'm like, okay, it's kind of a sick piece, but it's not until I sit down and I reflect and, and I'm one of them guys that I listen to my pieces a lot, especially when I've recorded it at the studio. Obviously, performance-wise, not so much, but when I've recorded it at a studio, I'll listen to it countless times and it's not because I want to hear myself because, <laughs> you know what I mean, that's a bit mad, but it's because I genuinely want to know what it's like for other people. Is this something that other people are going to perceive in a way that I'd like them to perceive it? Does it sound good? Is it honestly the best it could have been? And um, there's genuinely been times, I won't mention the occasions because I don't want to bait myself out, but there's definitely been times where after I've finished up the studio, track's done, about to go online, I'm like, man, I wish I could have changed that one part. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, but I mean, it is good. I think it's a testament to someone that really like has a invested in like interest in that art form and kind of really, really pushes for your best yeah. whole time. So it totally makes sense. One of the other things I wanted to kind of know about is uh, everyone has uh, their own way of doing this, right? Everyone has their own kind of style. People take a lot of uh, influence from like things like music or rap or whatever. Where do you feel your kind of style has evolved from in your life? So it's interesting. I think when I first started out, I took a lot of inspiration from slam poets in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, guys like Kodak, incredible poet um, from America. And, you know, um, Amir Suleiman, people like this really impressed me and their work was of a of a really high level. Do you know what I mean? And that inspired a, a lot of my early pieces. It wasn't until later on when I changed my style and I wanted to become a bit more lyrical and test my my I wanted to test myself in yeah. essence I wanted to challenge my ability and see how how far I could take this how good I could become as a writer um and that meant improving certain things that were missing from my poetry before so the likes of wordplay I had none of it really I mean it was there in very limited quality um, quantities um you know the lyricism it was there but there wasn't really multisyllabics or, or internal rhyme schemes and things like that um so I wanted to challenge myself so I started listening to a lot of battle rap and obviously I'm quite a big battle rap fan. And I think for me, that's been a big influence, mm. a really big influence because their wordplay and their lyricism is 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 crazy. At times it's crazy. And, and um, I know a lot of musicians say, but they couldn't do it over a beat. But for me, it's about appreciating that quality that they bring to the table and the way they can utilize words is insane at times. You know, some of the things they say, I sit there and I'm like, my goodness, how did you even come up with that? You know what I mean? Like, where did that come from? Um, so for me, that was definitely one of my biggest influences. I'd say as well on, on the poetry scene, a few people that influenced me were the likes of Woodsy. Yeah. Um, the first time I saw Woodsy perform, he really made me want to challenge myself because I thought, damn, this guy is incredible. Mm. You know, he was, he really impressed me. Broken pen was the same. This guy's a lyrical genius. I've got to challenge myself more. If I want to be on the same level of these poets, you know, I've got to be challenging myself more than I am. Another guy is, um, he's not so well known, but he's, he's called Sid. For me, his stage presence is second to none. Mm. He, he commands the audience attention when he performs. And he was the main reason I put my phone away. You know, uh, when I used to perform, I used to always have my phone at the oh, forefront. Really? Yeah, man, I couldn't do it without it. I saw this guy jump on the stage and I said, man, if I want to reach that next level, I've got to be performing like this guy. And he, um, he was another inspiration. Khatab, the poet, Yasmin Ali, just to name a few. Would you say then that your kind of, your confidence was something that grew over time then? Like it wasn't natural to you when you kind of started out? 100%. Oh my goodness. I was a, I was a wreck when I started, mate. Uh, Seriously, shaking on the stage like that with my phone in my hand. uh, See, what is mad is obviously when you like perform now and the pieces that you uh, have performed for us on like the show and the ones you're going to do just in a little bit, you, uh, I would have never have guessed that. I mean, obviously everyone starts out with not confidence, right? But um, like, I, I just, I don't know. I feel you, you've, you've kind of 
really thought about your craft and that kind of comes across in your pieces. So I think it's a kind of testament, right, to, to anyone yeah. that is starting out. Like, look how you can grow. Like, you, you, um, yes, it's nervous when you start out, yeah. right? But if you start to kind of really focus on your craft, then lots of things can happen. So, look, I think it's wicked, man. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the second piece that you're going to perform for us, which is entitled Writer's Block. So give us the kind of context. Sure, sure, definitely. <laughs> so I'm just getting a little FaceTime there. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about this second piece. No problem. <laughs> so, yes, Writer's Block. Writer's Block was actually inspired by a poet called Kodak, as I mentioned earlier on in the podcast. Um, this guy, he had a poem called Mugshot, and it was based on police brutality in America. Now, when I listened to this poem, I thought, wow, this is this is incredibly moving. It's incredibly touching, this piece of poetry, and it's so well put together. You know, it was it was phenomenally written. And I said to myself, I really want a piece that I feel like can be my staple piece, a piece that wherever I go, I know audiences are going to feel it. Because I know there's there's places I'm going to go and I'm going to deliver some of my poetry. Not all audiences want to hear wordplay. Mm. Not all audiences want to hear lyricism. Some audiences just want to hear you tell them a story. Some audiences want something a little different. because You know, they're hearing this stuff often. So I thought, what's a piece of mine that I can write that wherever I go, I know it's going to resonate with the audience. Either they're going to hate me for it or they're going to love me for it. But I'm going to get a reaction. And that's why I started writing Writer's Block. And um, pretty much it's about police brutality in America. But it also is about the US as well. Um, and uh, Sorry, the UK as well. And some of the things we deal with, you know, such such as at the time I wrote it, things that were prevalent in the UK, such as the acid acid attacks that were going on. My goodness, you know, uh, I think around 2017, I, I penned it. And the amount of people that were being attacked with acid was insane. So I wanted to kind of put forth this notion of how I was feeling about the whole situation, everything that was unfolding in front of me from the police brutality, from the acid attacks, from the fact that there were literally, there was a Muslim in America that was kidnapped and murdered by, by a man. Um, you know, the, the amount of people that have been stabbed to death. And also the fact that we had a, we had a president in America that was pretty much spurring this sort of behavior yeah. on, you know, he was, he was encouraging this sort of behavior and, and in, in people that are obviously, you know, anti-black and anti-Muslim and so on and so forth. So I really wanted to write a piece that I felt got that across. And I felt like I managed to do that. Obviously, some people might be like, why did you write so much about America and the UK? You should have just kept it to the UK. But I felt it was important important to write about both of them yeah, because it was happening at the same time. What is mad is, so you wrote this three three years back. Yeah. And how relevant it is today, right? Like, it's crazy. Is, it's crazy. That is um, crazy. Well, look, I think we should listen to it. Um, it's an amazing piece. I'm excited for people to hear it. So this is Annotate with Writer's Block. In the good old US of A, you can get shot for having black skin, kidnapped and murdered for being Muslim. In Great Britain, you can get bathed in acid by a supremacist, a shanked and beaten as a victim of prejudice. And if I'm exaggerating, somebody please explain to me why the lack of melanin is the measurement of relevant residents accompanied by claims of white precedents with individuals spitting the same hate as the president while preaching American reverence. Like, no blacks, no Muslims, no Mexicans. But growing up, I was taught that diversity is a good thing. Yet I hear him screaming, you don't belong here because of your skin, colour or your faith and religion. So what is living when this world is a prison? Hold on, wait, I'm half white. So does that mean I'm at least half entitled to white privilege? Maybe life would be all white if I was all right. I mean, all right if I was all white. Like, what about those equal rights? Like, I just want to know why a man of colour or Islam is harsher vilified than a white man that commits the same crime. When I was young, I used to wonder why they said the truth hurts. Until I discovered how Malcolm and Martin returned to the earth. And these days when I think of the KKK, I'm reminded of Britain first. And I'm wondering what would happen if Muslims organised the protests outside of a church. I mean, I'm unsure what's worse. The fact that in some parts of the US, the KKK still operate or that in the UK, Britain first are free to incite violence through hate. <laughs> I should probably try not to be so biased on my black side. But I just want to know how many CDs it takes to end a person's life. Honestly, I just don't want to see any more black people choke to death on the justice system. 
and I'll admit, I'm scared of the day I have kids. And my son comes home from school one afternoon, runs upstairs to his room, goes on the internet and brings up Google. And shortly after, runs back downstairs and says, Dad, today I discovered I should keep it a secret. I pray five times a day. And when I ask him why, he replies, because I'm the media's definition of a terrorist. You see, it's funny because the definition of terrorism is the unlawful act of violence or intimidation, usually against civilians in the pursuit of political aims, which is why I find it insane that the media uses Islam to define what a terrorist is. But since we all fit the stereotype, let me be the first to say, please, terrorist, don't blow us up with your clock. And apologize for following a book that says killing one innocent soul is tantamount to killing the whole of humanity. And while we're on the subject, I just wanted to take a moment to say, humanity, we're all praying for you. I know you haven't been doing too well since the glet forced empathy to commit mass suicide. Like, how many times can humanity be subjected to genocide and still be expected to survive? And it's ironic how the paddock only holds men like Stephen within the frame of mental health and historical reasoning. And considering labels of race and religion specific, it would be a complete injustice for us to refer to a white Caucasian male that guns down 59 innocent people as anything less than a terror. I, I, I mean, mentally challenged. So what does it mean to have freedom of speech? And so many of us aren't really free to speak. With the objective being to nod along and abide by whatever it is the media and its propaganda teach like Muslims are terrorists and all blacks are violent like <gasps> I can't breathe but you better remain silent like apologize for crimes you didn't commit like I'm sorry I'm here as a consequence of war like I'm sorry I fled my country in hope of a change like I'm sorry for declaring we all bleed the same like I'm sorry this is my color of skin and I'm sorry growing this beard is obscene and I'm sorry for labeling myself a human being and for claiming that the actions of the minority should never reflect that Of the majority. And this is what I write. To be a voice for the voiceless. In a time where it's easier to voice less. And the truth is the easiest way to get writers blocked. But the truth is the only reason I don't suffer from writers block. So there we go. That was (laughs) Annotate with writer's block um i think it's absolutely incredible that was written three years back and then kind of all of the all of the lyricism and the content is ever ever relevant so um what a wonderful piece mate i really really love that line at the end when you like a uh, that you're trying to be a voice for the voiceless in a time when it's easier to voice less i think that's kind of a good example of where your kind of lyricism and your wordplay does have you utility right um and i think it and i think you make a really good point so one of the other things i kind of wanted to chat about and this is a nice little segue we got here (laughs) but um obviously in that piece you mentioned kind of the state of the media um and you yourself have your own podcast um, that's right which is called outspoken podcast um so yeah i urge listeners to go and check it out i think it's a really really great show um tell us a little bit about uh, why you started the show and what uh, people can expect from it. Yeah, sure. It's interesting because we actually started this show because we were inspired to talk about things affecting the youth. Mm. So myself and my co-host um, and obviously co-founder, Just Naeem, you can find him on Instagram. Cheeky plug there. <laughs> um we sat down one afternoon and we were just talking about how we'd like to bring certain conversations to the forefront, conversations that we felt needed to be had and were important. And one of the things we felt was missing were podcasts addressing issues affecting the youth. Now, obviously, I understand it's difficult to get the youth to listen per se, and I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that we've had many, many members of, of, of our younger community listening. But when we have had younger members of the community listen, they've been impressed. They've liked what they've heard. And the reason they've liked what they've heard is because they feel that we've genuinely catered the podcast towards them um, at times. Now, obviously, not every episode. You know, there are certain episodes that differ from the, uh, why we started out. Mm. But that was the inspiration behind it initially. We wanted to have the chance to speak to people that we felt were pillars in their community. You know, people doing really good work, people trying to make a change. And that's why our, our our line, our slogan is spark change. You know, it's time we spark change. That's why we try to speak to people that we think are doing that. People that are genuinely making big moves in their community. Um, you know, the likes of Pachi Kusai, um, who's um, 
obviously his first name is not Patchy, but you know, people know him by Patchy. Um, who's been doing some amazing work with the Forefront Project. You know, there's guys like Abdul Karim, um, who was doing some amazing work in the borough of Lambeth, who we had on. Um, and we've just had incredible guests like that along the way. And that was the main inspiration behind it. But I think as the podcast went on, the episodes continued, it started to evolve and it became more than that. Yeah, and I think it, look, I think it's a really, really good, good show. And I think it does you know, as, as you kind of quote there, it does give a voice to like the voiceless. But I was I was wondering your kind of opinion on why you feel like these um all these all alternative forms of media are like so needed nowadays, yeah. you know, like how would you kind of put into words what is lacking in the kind of mainstream media? I think there's just not really a voice for certain people. Do you know what I mean? I, I feel like the Muslim voice isn't really heard the way that it should be heard. I feel like there's this narrative against Muslims, you know, n- normally de- demonizing Muslims, to be quite frankly honest. Um, there's not really anyone given a platform to truly convey what Islam is about, the truth behind our faith, um, you know, and dispel these misconceptions that exist and get rid of this this false and, and foolish belief, really, that you know, some people genuinely do have, and that is that all Muslims are terrorists, as I said in my writer's block piece. Um, you know, so pe- things like that, and obviously, again, giving people, um, young people, we've even given the platform as well. You know, most podcasts, again, like I said, don't really tend to have too many episodes focused on the youth, and if they do, they're not really inviting the youth on. We've actually had young members of the community on the podcast, mm. you know what I mean? We had an 18 year old who came on and um, spoke about some mental health um, issues that she was having and how she was coping with them in um, a collective that she had joined. And we thought that was an incredible episode um, by the RTB collective. You can find that episode on um, YouTube. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we've even had our um, host, co-host Yasmin Ali, her daughter comes to the studio sometimes and she has the opportunity to share in the conversation with us tell us what she thinks about the podcast, how we're doing, if we can genuinely reach the youth with, with what we're delivering at times. And she she's said that she's impressed by the way we deliver our content and she likes it. And obviously she's a young person. So I think it's just important to give people that are not really getting a chance to voice um, themselves that, that platform, that mm. opportunity to do so. And because unfortunately the mainstream media doesn't always do that, you know, we're, we're, when we're hearing about the youth, often it's black youth. What are they doing? Criminality. You know, if we're hearing about Muslims, what are they doing? It's terrorism. So it's not, we, we decided that we wanted to give people a voice, a chance to speak and, and deliver these truths that the media doesn't want the world to hear. That's mm. how I feel at times. I genuinely feel like the media just doesn't want people to see the positive side of certain types of people. And it's very rare that you see that in the media. It's very yeah. rare that you see a Muslim who's gone out to his community and been given food to members of the community. He's cooked him and his wife have cooked at home this food and, and gone out to members of the community and given it to them, distributed the food. It's happened many times, you know, or or somebody that donates thousands and thousands of pounds because they want to support a cause, you know, but what you do here is, okay, a Muslim's done this, you know, a Muslim's been involved in this negative crime or this negativity. Um and even when you see the um headlines you know what I mean? They they yeah. differ, don't they? Largely, you know, a Muslim does something or, or a black person does something, it's very negative. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Even when they've been killed. And they always mention race, religion. There you go. Whereas if it's uh, a white man doing yeah. exact, exact, exactly the same thing, they mention their age, right? <laughs> there you go. Like... Exactly. Or, or that they have uh, mental health issues. Yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, um, well, look, I think what is, what is, you know, we obviously live in... Um, some kind of strange times but one of the slight benefits i would say of the kind of modern times is you know the kind of entry uh level to being able to set up your own podcast and actually kind of uh build a platform from scratch which has the has the ability to do exactly what you've just done yeah. Um, I think that alone at least can give us some kind of like hope right it's because because that simply wasn't really possible like 20 30 years ago right like yeah the kind of you would need so much equipment and stuff was now you can you can kind of do it and i think no it's it's really great I, what you've, you've done about 50 episodes or so right you've really yeah. done a lot yeah <laughs> we have done quite a lot now so there's a, there's a wealth of content <laughs> yeah. out there um 
And I think it's kind of great to see a platform which, you know, everything, st- this as well, everything starts from nothing. Yeah, right? exactly. And it's kind of great to see what you guys have turned it into. So yeah, massive congrats on that. Oh, and I urge you. people to go and check it out. Um, okay, cool, man. So look, we've reached the part of the show where we're going to do the cheeky. 155 challenge now um Ooh. this uh <laughs> we never really know what's going to happen with this but um let's play 155 155 is the part of the show where we challenge our guests to a quick fire free write the rules are as follows you must pick one word out of that box right in front of you and write a piece all about that word you have got one minute 55 to complete this task, after which you, Anna Tate, solemnly swear to read it out loud. You solemnly swear to read it out loud. I will do so. <laughs> okay. So, look, we've had a bit of a mixture with the words. They're, some of them are proper random, right? Don't expect, uh, like, they're all, like, deep and, like, easy to kind of come up with. Some of them are proper random. But all right. um, the other thing to kind of mention just before we pick out a word is you guys listening at home should play along with this as well so get out pen and paper get out your phone send me in whatever you come up with at the end and you have the chance to win yourself a word spoken mug so i say don't be a mug win a mug right so annotate why don't you give the little box a shake uh it's a little word spoken box because i put a sticker on it so that makes it a word spoken shake box. it up shake it up and take out a word whenever you're ready buddy right, i had my hand on it already i was ready to go uh, yeah i was ready to go <laughs> all right let's do this Okay. Do I read out the word? Uh, yeah, you can read out the word. Okay, the word is snail. It's a tough one. It's a <laughs> Sorry, tough one. I've man. never never thought I'd write about snail Okay, before. well, look, you can feel free to have as much creative license as you want with this, man. Um, so, <laughs> God, I really should have thought more about this. Okay, cool. So, look, we're going to put 1 minute 55 on the uh, clock in just a quick little minute. Reminder, everyone, get out your uh, pens and pencils. We're coming up with the 155 challenge. The word is snail. Bit of a random one. Ready, mate? Your time starts now. Okay. So we've got Annotate going here with the 155 challenge. Now, again, snail is not a particularly good one. I will concede that. But I'm excited to see what we come up with. So... As always, I give a little fact about whatever the word is in this time. So, snail, right? You ready? The world's smallest land snail could fit through the eye of a needle. So, that's small. And the recently discovered Angostopelia dominicae maybe the smallest land snail ever found. It has a shell of just 0.03 inches tall. If you line 10 of them up in a row... They would all march through the eye of a needle together. Whoa. There you go. Lots of eye needles references there. So we've got the word snail. A reminder, listening and playing along at home that you can send in whatever you come up with and you get yourself a word spoken mug. We're just over halfway, buddy. Now, I will give you a little bit of time to kind of collect whatever it is, your thoughts, read through it once, and then we'll see whatever it is to come up with. Um, I'm excited to see what he does here with this, the word snail. It's not an easy one. <laughs> he could take it wherever he wants. We've got the dramatic music in the background. I'm expecting some sick flows here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm feeling sweaty myself. I don't know. The word snail. We're getting very close to the 10 second countdown. I'm excited for this. God knows why I put this word in. Put your pens down. <laughs> oh, my. Right, mate. Okay. This is awful. Okay. Well, <laughs> you did solemnly swear. So, look, what I will do, I like. I always do this. I'll give you a little moment just to maybe read it through, kind of in your head, collate what you've kind of got, and roughly, yeah, you feel like you're ready? I could read it now, man. Yeah, it's not very ready. good, but I'll go with it. <laughs> okay. So, look, this is the 155 challenge with Annotate, and we have the word snail don't judge me it's probably the worst poem i've ever written (laughs) i've never really been a fan of snails i prefer ants that's just the way i feel like i need to bail from this challenge but oh well here's some content from annotate might not be great but it's on the spot so don't hate snails are slow 
I'm like my flow I write And each poem I grow Fuck yeah Dude look That's why I really enjoy this segment Because I gave you probably the hardest fucking prompt ever right But you put your annotate stamp on it That was really good Well done man I tried I tried I tried Don't judge me No Mate there's no judgment there mate That was spot on Look just remind everyone Send in whatever you come up with right Don't be a mug Win a mug and you'll um, win a mug. Um, <laughs> bro, I was like properly impressed with that. Oh, I appreciate it. <laughs> very, very good. Um, okay, cool. So uh, the next thing we want to have a li- I want to have a little chat about is you are, again, like you're probably, hmm, you're probably the fourth person on this show. That is from the Flow Poet Collective, right? So, um, and uh, tell us a little bit about when you joined that collective. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I think it was around 11 months ago now. I think if my memory serves me correctly, mm-hmm. I might be wrong. I might be far off, but I think it was around that time. Um, yeah, so I was performing on Flow, obviously, um, doing, you know, just doing poems here and there. In fact, I think it was November 2018 I joined, not 19. Sorry, just to clarify and correct myself there but yeah so I was performing at flow obviously and just sharing poetry week after well not week after week but every fortnight yeah because they have it fortnightly I was sharing my poetry and I was seeing these incredible poets just go up and they were a part of this collective there was 10 of them at the time I believe and I remember saying to my friend who eventually became a flow poet along with me um, I really want to be a part of this collective, man. I feel like, you know, these are some of the best poets on the scene. There's a reason that Natalie Stewart has chosen them to be a part of this collective. You know, somebody that's an accredited uh, individual, a person that's done some incredible things. I want to be a part of that collective. So it definitely inspired me to become a better writer because I was challenging myself in order to sort of be on that level, in my opinion. Like, just feel as though that the quality I was putting out the output was of a high level. Um, so yeah, that's, I joined, I think one day I went down to flow and, um, I think it was Vala, was it Vala? Um, told me that Natalie wanted to speak to me. Um, and they had asked me to be there a little bit early. And so I got down there a bit earlier than usual because obviously flow starts at a certain time. And I was like there about an hour before and, um, Natalie called me over and she just said, you know, I like your work. I really like your work. And keep in mind, obviously, by this time, I'd been going a, a few months by now. Yeah. And, and and I had heard from multiple poets, multiple poets, um, you know, the likes of Vela, Yasmin, um, who else? I think Woodsy was another one saying, when are you going to be a flow poet, man? <laughs> I don't know why you're not a flow poet yet. You should be a flow poet by now. And I was like, yeah, I'm hoping, you know, I get that call soon and, you know, she's going to make me a flow poet. So I think when that day did come, I was really excited, but I was also surprised. I was also surprised and taken aback because it had been so long after people were kind of calling for it. You know, there mm. were a few multiple poets, you know, saying Annotate needs to be a flow poet. So because it wasn't happening, I was a bit like, oh, it's probably not going to happen then. Um, but when it did, it was really exciting for me because I felt like it was an opportunity for me to stand among some of my favorite poets, people that I respect, people I think are incredibly gifted themselves, um, and showcase my poetry in front of an audience that I felt was very appreciative. I felt like the flow audiences were incredible for the most part. Nearly every event I went to. They are phenomenal. Yeah, were they just, are phenomenal. Yeah, just unbelievably great. So it was just amazing to be in front of that audience, amazing to be able to have Natalie Stewart kind of guiding the collective. And yeah, I've just enjoyed it ever since. And um, mm. I've probably gotten the dates wrong with when I joined, but please <laughs> no forgive worries. me for that. <laughs> How, um, obviously, past few months, there hasn't been any nights, has there, right? Any kind no, of live no. event. How, like, how have you found kind of not being able to perform live? I've missed it. Definitely, definitely missed it. I think when you perform live, it's an opportunity to hear how the audience receives your new pieces, see what the reactions are like, um, go back and maybe tweak your pieces if you feel like the audience is not really feeling it. Because obviously, ultimately, I don't 
I wouldn't say I write for my audience per se. I write for myself, but I definitely take into account my audience's reaction, how how yeah. they feel about the piece. That's why I share it with certain trusted individuals. When I first written those pieces, I share it with certain individuals that I think would give me constructive feedback. People that would be honest with me, and people on that that are not just going to go, "Oh, that was sick." For me, someone telling me that's sick is not good feedback. It's not. It's right. not good feedback. That's useless to me because ultimately, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. Obviously, when people tell me I'm sick, I'm very, very grateful. But from people that know me, I don't want them to just tell me my piece is sick. I want them to tell me, okay, Anate, here's why I think it's sick. Here's why I think this bit is not good, and so on and so forth. Because that's the only way for me to not become complacent for one and to improve. So I've definitely missed the live performances because it's not giving me that opportunity to stand in front of an audience, showcase them these new pieces, see what the reactions are, are like, um, and then see see how I feel about overall about the piece and performing it. Because sometimes the audience reception will dictate how often I perform a piece. Totally, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think what, obviously what, what I love about live live events and live nights is it's a two-way street, right? So it's yes, it's about the people that get up and do their pieces, but it's also about the crowd right yeah. and getting that kind of feedback straight away like really reaffirms the parts of your poems which are hard hitting right definitely, like, you, definitely. you can think like this is the line but actually yeah. no it's the one after yeah. or the one before you know it's <laughs> really funny how that kind of happens you you also said uh something there which i think is also worth kind of having a little chat about is um you know the people that know you know that you don't just want to be told that we're yeah. sick you want some kind of feedback. You want some, like maybe some points you could improve on for next time. And I think that's, um, it's, it is something that's very common within the spoken word scene, that kind of lack of, of critique of one another. Yeah. And it's, um, it's, it's unlike any other art form. So if you're like a rapper, right, you're constantly faced with critique. Everyone 100%. just says you're shit. You've just got to, you've got to continuously prove that you're not shit. Yeah. Right? It's the same with artists, right? You do a painting, everyone's like, what well, the fuck's that? Do you know mm. what I mean? And and I and I I have a theory, right? It it's it goes some way to explaining why spoken word is still quite a niche art form. Mm. Because it in a way, it's quite self in self inflating. So mm. you can kind of quite easily build up this like, yeah, I'm yep. fucking nailing it. But you're nailing it amongst the spoken word crowd, I right? Agree. And very few people bridge that gap and they nail it with everyone. You know, like George the Poet, Kate, Kate Tempest, right? They're, they have yeah. uh, a broad audience, right? Yeah. I don't know. Where do you say that's kind of true? I guess in a way, the lack of critique allows more people to do it. So it's more open, right? But yeah, where, where like do you kind of fall on that, on that oh. line? I'm with you 100%. (laughs) Literally do agree with you and everything you said there. I think ultimately with the spoken word scene, unfortunately it's very easy to become complacent as a writer. And the reason I say that is because I feel like most of the people you meet are going to tell you you're sick. Yeah. Most of the people. And most of those people are going to be telling everyone else that they're sick. You're never really going to go and have somebody saying, oh, that was dead. Oh, I didn't like that. You know, you tried it, it didn't really work. Do you know what I mean? It's always positive. And that's a good thing in some in some ways. Obviously, ultimately, you want to be in a space that's positive. You don't want to go to a space and it's negative, you know. And I do like the fact that spoken word scene is a lot more forgiving than, than other arenas, you know. Like mm. I, I said this on the podcast a couple of times um, to the battle rappers that I've spoken to, like likes of Tony D and Chilla Jones from the US. Battle rap is unforgiving. Yeah. You know, if you do a deadline, the crowd is not going to sit there and cheer it. They're not going to do that. If your wordplay does not work, the crowd are not going to sit there and be like, that's good wordplay. Mm. And I think it makes, encourages the artist to be a better writer. And that's why, again, I'm influenced by battle rap because I kind of take, when I'm writing, I kind of think about how would a battle rap audience react to this bar? I don't think how would a spoken word crowd do, not because I don't respect their opinion, but because I know that they're not necessarily going to want to be negative with me. So even if they don't like it, they won't tell me. Yeah. And that's not that's not because they're they're lying to me or deceiving me. It's just because it's a very respectful space. And I love that about spoken word. But I also do think it, it has the um, ability to hinder a poet, uh, hinder a person. And it also has a, the ability to inflate their ego. Because oh, yeah. some people will be like, okay, I'm sick. Um, my wordplay is crazy. But I mean, I have heard some wordplay on the spoken word scene that, 
it just simply doesn't work. Yeah. But the crowd will go crazy for it. Even my own in the past, I've written some stuff and I've gone back over it months later. And I've been like, right, the crowd went crazy for this, but it's awful. <laughs> you know, it's not good wordplay. It doesn't work. It's a reach. But unfortunately, you're not going to get that sort of constructive criticism from the audience. And I think it's been a blessing for me to have certain people that I'm around that do provide that for me. And, yeah. you know, Yasmin Ali is, is one of those individuals better known as YA poet. She's someone that when I talk to her and I say to her, look, what do you think of this piece? She will literally tell me what part she thinks is good and why. She won't just say that was sick. She'll be like, okay, this part, this line, this particular, she'll point out a line, mm. which is amazing because for me, that means she's literally gone back and listened to the piece more than once Yeah. in order for her to give me a genuine opinion over the work. No, I, I like think it, matters a lot i'd like think it is really Im, Im, important for you know not not necessarily to change the character of the scene but for spoken word artists just just be aware of that fact right? yeah. like be, be aware that the scene is very welcoming and yes that is a bonus but it might hinder you from pushing yourself to your best Definitely. right so i think um that kind of makes sense um so look we've reached the part where we're going to hear your third and final piece um, give us a kind of brief preamble to this piece, which is entitled Confession. Yeah, so this piece is essentially based on my feelings towards the poetry scene. Oh, there um, we go. <laughs> it's interesting because I wrote that piece in 2018. Um, and it, yeah, it pretty much goes through how I felt about the poetry scene at the time. My frustrations with the poetry scene, the feeling like, despite the quality of work I was putting out and delivering on stages, I wasn't really being given opportunities. And I always felt a little bit like there was, was it my openness that was affecting me from getting these opportunities where people were a bit taken aback by the fact that I was so forthcoming with some of my opinions and some of my thoughts. And this poem is pretty much me saying, despite people denying me these opportunities, it does not take away from my work and I'm still going to be writing at this level and I'm still going to be showing why I should have these opportunities. Yeah. Well, look, um, you certainly do that. <laughs> Let me just get that clear. Like, um, look, I can't wait for people to hear this one again. Your wordplay, your lyricism is so on point. Um, but also it has a meaning of power. So look, let's hear it. Uh, this is annotate with a piece called confession. How long have I been fantastic for? Fire Johnny Storm. Though it's no stretch to say I've largely been ignored, overlooked like I was Sue Richards in adjusted form. But here's the thing. Spider man, women and poets they've chose. You'll see they fit a particular mold. So if this is the nature of the beast, I should bell at the lack of beauty I see. Wherever there's envy, hatred extends from the seams. There's eyes on me. Ready for grand theft, they ought to be wasted Two-faced traitors, but I stay courageous Seek safety with he who rules over the angels Don't be fooled by the hugs when they praise you Enemies in the shape of friends Wishing they could plague your eyes or page They rise to see the end of mine Conceit through a body of lies These days, it's all in the eyes on Wi-Fi And you would think I have flash drive The way I'm aware of the iris Is where the IR is usually sighted And I can't decide if it's dying your rage Or haters be blinded I've been stifled in silence Knowing if I I did convey this max pain in each verse. I see my reach take a huge chit and eventually burst. Hence, I try to find the middle ground and deliver what works, but most don't agree with this work. So they tell me I'm good, but won't give me the stage perks. The truth hurts. But maybe these factors mean my range is deceiving me, leaving me frustrated and self-sworn to secrecy like forever hold your peace until I can see that I believe that it's fevery, feeling that there's no place in this scene for me. But I dream eagerly. And if hell was the antithesis of where my ambition is, I can't give the devil his wishes. I witness the extent of his tricks. If I spoke in verse about how I used to live, you'd see it as evil. I had the most hand speed though, but I only made the call when my mind was feeble. It took a paradigm shift for me to accept that my persona was see-through. So if those dark nights return, I'm Bruce Wayne with the suit and cowl on. I'll stand strong. Eleven in the presence of where the demogorgon spawn sprung, I won't run. Satan tried ambition, robbing Batman. I embraced that face off and waged forward a change. Ordered like Cajun Travolta with traits altered. My detractors. If my detractors concern themselves over my next moves relentless, prepared to vent with anger, offensive, verbal, attentive, with a condition horrendous, I'll welcome it. Let them send for my head their Konami extended, without the metal gear solid, just an agenda to bring about annotates ending like silent 
uphill, stay if we send him a message. No need for the violence, just to be advised against. Like, I can't speak my mind and fess about how my life at times is stressed. And as I assess the remiss, I try to remember the ways in which I am blessed, but find it sick how we obsess over everyone else while losing sight of ourselves in this world where people just love to slander. Jaw then peel off, embracing the culture as cancer. I would get out, but still believe there's an us worth fighting for. So I cement that point with a pause. Semicolon. As I wait for the backhanded applause, suggesting they agree with the cause. When really informed, they'd rather air my dirty laundry like drawers and leave me hung out to dry as Jekyll and Hyde, like how they embrace this arrogant pride. But I'm full of spirit. With intent, that's soul colour, but star quality, that's too much for these mean folk like supernova exposure. Determined opposers get the scorpion like, get over here, to our witness their chains broke for a portion of closure. All you haters did was strengthen the resolve in me, winter soldier, lyrical sub-zero, but colder. The saddest of you? The saddest of you will still tear at me with eyes on the future like a crystal gazer, a palm reader, or a mischief maker, but savour the statement. How can you play your cards right when I don't believe in superstitious arrangements? I consider it gracious. You believe there's ever a reason for all of this hate, and I'm never deflated. You jokers, I'm a walking phoenix, and this a gambit reaction. Where we collide to scope me is like a hopeless meme, a bad idea, I mean. How are you hoping to succeed by living through me? I carry cranium currency. And I'm currently capitalising on my capital. And to cap it off, I'm ushering in a new era without the caps on. I feel I can speak at this scene and this era's forever. Take action with current measures, amped and unfettered. If our wires cross, I refuse to plug like a broken socket. I don't need the spark when my properties are electric guy. Wouldn't offer a clown a penny for their thoughts. I'm penny-wise. With my eye on the prize, I've got more to offer than just rhyme. Listen as I let the flow assist whenever I spit. I'm destined for greatness if I choose to embrace this. It's crazy how I found support in a vortex as I chase success. So it's time for the fusion. How Dawkin, YA pen. Deem it battle rap lack and abuse it. Call it useless till I switch movesets and it's a fatality. Brutally ruthless. But still, I'm curious. How do a Ken bar be neglected? If it isn't dream house reflective, it isn't effective. But these bars wouldn't go over your head if you weren't evading the work like duck, duck, goose. I'm a hair razor in truth. Leaving in shock as you muse, wondering how this level of doubt hasn't seen me throw in the towel. This is Miles Morales versus Fisk and the Prowler. My appreciation for this is innate sideways, it's boundless. I got a team around me that won't allow me to cower. If 15 minutes is power, then multiply by those in support that surround me as hours. Now that's how you raise the bar and set a new standard. Buddy, what the fuck? <laughs> like, look, I hope everyone listening, right? In fact, this is what I'm going to do to anyone that is listening. I urge you to go and listen to that again, right? Because there are so many levels and layers to that that it's um just worth doing that a couple of times, mate. That, um,. <laughs> That must have taken a while to memorize, right? It did. It did. It took a while. <laughs> no, look, I think it's, um, you know, I'm not just kind of doing the whole thing, which we've just spoken about of like self-inflating each other Mm-mm. for no reason, right? I yeah. think with that piece, like it's justified, mate. That's fire. <laughs> so look, um, I guess one thing uh, is worth kind of noting is if you're listening to this and you kind of want to see the visuals and you want to watch uh, this so you can either watch the full episode up on youtube or you can watch just the kind of three poems uh themselves it's all up on youtube it's all up on instagram go and check it out because that that performance in the studio like guys it Thanks, was fire. <laughs> so look uh we reached the part of the show where we play play eyes and ears love it, love it. eyes and ears okay that's for you Okay, Eyes and Ears is the part of the show where we get a recommendation from our guests, something for our eyes to feast on and something for our ears to find blissful. So, Annotate, uh, what have you got for our... Let's start off with our ears. Okay, so ears, ears, ears is a bit of a tougher one. Um, I think some something that people should listen to... Can I be cheeky? <laughs> Go for it. I'm going to be really cheeky. I'm going to say, check out my actual confessions video. Okay. okay. <laughs> you'll be able to hear it accompanied by a backing. And of course, you'll see a video along with it. So I'm going to be cheeky and plug my content and say, <laughs> please check out confessions. I do think it's worth hearing. 
Um, I hope that doesn't come across as arrogant. I don't mean <laughs> it to be. Um, I just genuinely think it would be something I'd appreciate people listening to and hopefully something people can appreciate too. Right. Vibes. Okay. So that is Confessions by Annotate himself. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We haven't had that yet, but you know, we can take that. We can take that. Um, okay, cool. Then what have you got for our eyes? For eyes, um, I would say something that's benefited me recently. And obviously this is probably going to be more welcoming to um, certain types of poetry lovers and not necessarily all, but I would definitely say grab a copy of Sahema Mansour Khan better known on Instagram as the Brown Hijabis poetry collection. Mm. In my opinion, it's the best collection I've ever read and I've read quite a few, but it is so accurate in so many ways in terms of just discussing some of the issues that Muslims face um, and also, you know, uh, minorities in general. And her, her poetry is just so effective on the page and on the stage, you know, there's not, not every poet, in my opinion, is able to deliver the same sort of quality on the page as they do on the stage. It's a really hard. It's hard very difficult. Even myself, I've found that it's, it's a challenge, you know, it, it, you've got to change up your poem. You've got to really adapt it for the page, but she's someone that has done it in a masterful way. And I would definitely recommend everyone to check that poem out. But as I said, again, it might not be for everyone because it is very political and, um, Maybe not everyone's into that. <laughs> cool. So just remind everyone the name uh, of the poet and the name of the... Uh, okay, so collection. it's called um, Post-Colonial Banter, mm-hmm. I believe. And it's by Suheima Mansour Khan and better known on Instagram as The Brown Hijabi. Wicked. Cool. Well, look, um, I urge people to go and do both of those things. Go and check out the Confessions video and also check out that poetry collection. So yeah, wicked man. Uh, Thank you very much for that. So look, we are just about to wrap up. What we do when we kind of wrap up is kind of look to the future. Um, So yeah, what I guess, again, I think I've said this every episode, so maybe this is getting like a broken (laughs) record, right? But the future is a bit weird right now, isn't it? Because we don't really know what's going on. But but in terms of kind of where you want to take your art form, where you want to take your spoken word, what are your kind of goals uh, for the future? Well, I'd definitely like to perform in spaces where opportunity is rife, meaning that the people that are going to be in those spaces it's going to open doors for greater opportunities in the future to actually go to places where it could lead to, I don't know, um, well-paid opportunities, you know, uh, perhaps um, an opportunity to work alongside people that I've never met before, you know, people that are doing this on a bigger level, you know, things like that. I think it's obviously it's important about who you know, sometimes that enables you to to get further with your craft and that doesn't that's not a shot at anybody's um talent because obviously there are some people that are incredibly talented and also know people but there are also I think some people that don't know anybody and unfortunately don't necessarily get the opportunities that they they deserve and that's not something I'm saying about myself I'm just being general with that Mm. comment so I definitely like to be on bigger stages of course who wouldn't I definitely like to be in performing in front of bigger crowds um, and I definitely like to be making more money from it. I mean, yeah. I think that's um, something that most of us poets can be honest about is that we'd like to make money from our craft. And it's always um, a bit of a disappointment when it's so difficult to kind of find that support from organizations that do run events when more often than not places kind of do want you to perform for free and so yeah. on and so forth. And that's something I learned the hard way of um, because I used to run events myself. Um, and initially I couldn't really afford to pay my artists, but I felt so guilty by the third event that I was like, I got to pay them something, even if it's a small sum. And I think even a small sum is something, you know, from what you're making at the end of the day, I understand that the proceeds go back into making sure the next event can run, but your artists are, you know, they're the, the reason why the event is going ahead in the first place. You know what I mean? So I definitely think it's important that organizations start paying their artists as well. So I'd like to be paid more. <laughs> Amen to that. Man. No, do you know what? I think it, I like think it is a good point. I think it's something which kind of as a scene, we, we need, we, we should start really having a think about, you know, like monetizing this art form is tricky right now, but it's um, something we should all be thinking about because, because, you know, that's how it grows. You know, we like, 
we are like, I definitely want to see more people. Because what? why I started this show is because there's such a wealth of talent on 100%. the spoken word scene, right? And I kind of saw that pretty quickly from getting involved and was like, why is this not visible elsewhere? You know, like we we need to shine a light on the kind of talent that that we have and like thinking of ways of kind of being able to monetize it and be able to kind of generate some kind of income for more people that deserve it is um yeah it's definitely the way forward so i like that mindset look mate um thank you so much time has flown by buddy uh it's you we've had three incredible pieces we've had gra- uh, gratitude writer's block and confession we had um great recommendations for our eyes and ears you nailed the 155 <laughs> all about a snail man i was super impressed when you picked that word out i was like oh what have i done but look you absolutely smashed it um, thank you man i appreciate it thank you so much for coming on the show mate it's been an absolute pleasure it's been my pleasure honestly i've really really enjoyed being here it's the first podcast i've done in over a year so uh, yeah. outside of my own other than yours yeah so i mean to be a guest on a podcast is is a wonderful change i welcome it so thank you for having me <laughs> you're more than welcome man remind people where they can follow you on instagram of course annotate underscore on instagram and please do subscribe to me on youtube as annotate wicked and also check out outspoken podcast yes wicked buddy do. thanks very much we'll thank see you very everyone much man next week cheers <laughs>